Welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, one minute at a time, or thereabouts. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I am Sarah Buttery, and uh, surprising, we don't, have a gu- <laughs> we don't have a guest this week. We were just talking about this uh, off mic before we started recording, but this is a, a pretty well-known and pretty popular scene that we're, that we're talking about today, but I think just scheduling issues and stuff, uh, the person who we were going to have down to, to be a guest couldn't make this one or, uh, yeah, didn't leave us enough time to sort of find someone else. So yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things, but it'll just be us talking about this one and I know we are going to have a lot to say about it based uh, purely on my notes alone which are extensive i have written almost two pages of notes on this on this scene uh so this is this is going to be a fun one i can i can feel it so uh yeah the timestamp uh for this week's scene is from one hour 26 minutes and 23 seconds to one hour 28 minutes and 25 seconds so just over the two minutes um, and we are now inside the, the orca, getting our first sort of real good look around the, the cabin in the orca as our characters are uh, sat down and just sort of uh, digesting, I guess, <laughs> what has happened earlier in the day uh, with sort of being close to catching the shark and, and then losing it. Um, so they are, they are processing what has happened and they're, and they're having a drink. This is sort of leading up to the Indianapolis speech, which we will uh, spend many, many weeks talking about. Uh, But in this scene, we have Quint and Hooper comparing their scars. They sort of seem to be trying to one up each other with their with their scars and telling the stories behind them uh, and sort of finishes with them uh, uh, proposing a toast, a drink to each other's legs. Uh, just a really funny and I think very well-known popular moment from from the film. Uh, we leave it at the point where Brody sort of lifts up his jumper and, and sort of thinks about maybe sharing a story about a scar that he has, but, but thinks better of it. Uh, and that's where we leave it. So, MJ, you can kick us off. Uh, what did you notice in this week's scene? Uh, one... Good face acting abounds in this scene. Uh, just all the way, all the way around. Um, I love one. I love Roy Scheider just looking like disappointed that he sustained an injury because he hasn't done anything of note on the boat yet. Um, and so I get that. It's it's funny that he's having imposter syndrome over a head injury. Um, but my favorite is uh dreyfus when he's leaning over touching quint's head and his like his jaw is just slack and slightly open and (laughs) his eyes are kind of droopy like he's just it's it's very good like beginning of getting drunk acting from Mm -hmm. from dreyfus in this scene so just just those little like micro expression type shots i i really like in this scene a lot Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talk about great uh, drunk acting. Uh, Dreyfus definitely acting. Robert Shaw, 
Not so much. <laughs> not, not so much. Uh, but we get that great sort of like, he's very like red in the face and the, like the eyes are starting to go and he's definitely... Yeah, I mean, we don't really sort of talk too much about the the behind the scenes stuff on uh, on this podcast, but you know, Robert Shaw is is known as as being a very heavy drinker, and it was mm-hmm. this scene in particular, the sort of the the lead up to the Indianapolis speech, that that he was really uh, drinking heavily, and that sort of like reflects in in the performance on screen, and uh, famously was was so drunk that they couldn't sort of. You know, did did have a shot at the Indianapolis speech, but it wasn't what he he wanted as an actor. And then sort of came back the next day, sober as a fox, and 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 did the thing. But um, yeah, in in this bit in particular, I think very evident that he is uh, inebriated. But it works yeah. for this scene because that is that is the whole point. They are processing what they have gone through. They are they are having a drink, um, and. You know the conversation sort of goes goes from there as they talk about their their scars and we really this scene is really about starting to see that bond forming between Quint and Hooper um, and I think we've mentioned this in previous episodes actually that they never thankfully they never sort of have that we're not so different you and I bit where they sort of voice that out loud or speak those words to each other but you see it happen in this scene and it's really quite wonderful to watch um the the way their conversation escalates um between sort of you know sharing their their war wounds and their battle scars and everything else um and it's at the point when i think so hooper has sort of said that uh the scar on his leg is from a, a bull shark that that scraped him when he was um taking some samples and then quint shares about the the thresher shark now that's important we will come back to this thresher shark um but it's it's that sort of like oh they both have a scar or an injury caused by a shark and there's sort of like a pause like it's just for a beat or two um where hooper is looking at quint and he is just like starting to kind of smile and you just see that these characters are like very slowly starting to warm to each other um, and given everything that we've seen and this animosity between Quint and Hooper, it's really satisfying to see it play out in this in this moment. Um, it's something I noticed that is reflected in the way that it is shot as well. Um, so it's another kind of like uh, sneaky long take as well. We don't get many, many kind of cuts and edits in this scene. Um, but we sort of, it starts off, you know, Quint on his own in the shot. And then it kind of like pans over to Hooper talking and it's just him. And then as they are sort of sharing these stories, not only do they get closer in proximity to each other, you know, Hooper shuffles over and Quint moves around to sit closer to him as well. Um, But it goes from sort of seeing like only one of them at a time in shot to then the camera being fixed to show both of them in shot for what feels like quite a long time as well. Um, Because like I said, this is is one of those sort of Spielberg sneaky long takes again. Um, It's just yeah this this is the moment for me where you sort of like you get that we're not so different moment but it does it in such a way that it doesn't feel like cheesy and on the nose and and i appreciate that i don't think i even noticed that um it was a long take until you mentioned it mm-hmm. really sneaky <laughs> yep very very sneaky um i 
man i just love the scene it's it's so great and like <laughs> knowing knowing where it's leading and and uh i uh shoot i had the screenshot pulled up and then i hit play and now it's gone oh <laughs> i love the like bit of i don't know if you would call it world building that seems a little mm-hmm. intense to say but i love when Quint is talking about the lump under his cap and he names the guy who gave it to him and the guy's name is Nako Nolans. <laughs> That's such a good name. See, I thought that was a bar. Like that was the name of the bar where it happened. So it might be, I Googled it and I couldn't really figure it out. Yeah, same. I was like, I hope this is a real bar. I hope that I can buy merchandise. <laughs> yeah, I know. I did the same thing. <laughs> That would be a, a, why isn't there, why, like, why isn't there at least an inspired by bar? Yeah. But Maybe also, Nako Nolan's is a fantastic bar name as well. <laughs> yeah. It's actually a better bar name than it is a guy name. Yeah, it's real good. <laughs> um, is, is that a real chip tooth? Because it sure seems like it. Yeah, I was trying to find that out as well but like he very clearly takes it out and also does not put it back in as well so yeah <laughs> i'm like okay i feel like that has to be right it's the, yeah. it's the 70s i don't know how well they could sort of like create that effect but yeah I yeah don't know. well i mean even um jim carrey has a real chip tooth so when he did it for dumb and dumber he had it removed he had the oh, the, the yeah. chip repair removed um <laughs> So, and for both of them, I I think, uh, so it's, I mean, there is precedent set for that to have, uh, that to have happened. Uh, Mm. let's see. Let me see if I have any luck in real time. Robert (laughs) Shaw have a chipped tooth. In the scene before the Indianapolis monologue, when Quentin Hooper compares scars, it was Shaw's idea for Quint to remove the cap from his tooth, showing off to Brody and Hooper, uh, and launching the informal competition. Um, hmm. so, yes. <laughs> yep, turns out it was real. Huh. And apparently there's a continuity error where when he starts the Indianapolis speech, he's, uh, it's back. Because oh. he's sober during it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah, that is very, like, you're drunk and you're like, want to see me take out my tooth? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just doesn't uh-huh. put it back in. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, he puts it in his pocket next to his Lemboss bread. Yeah. <laughs> the Lemboss bread. <laughs> um, I love this swinging light that's above yes. them. Sorry. <laughs> it's so good. It's just such, it's so cool and it provides such a cool ambiance to it. And this is going to be really weird. I'm going to mention someone who's controversial amongst the film nerd verse but one of my favorite things and this is why i can't ever fully hate the man is because we have the same love for the same movie and that's kevin (laughs) smith i'm going to talk about kevin smith so here we go Mm -hmm. (laughs) he recreates the scene in chasing amy but instead of comparing they compare sex injuries so like scars they've gotten while having sex and I don't know where I learned this bit of trivia. Yes, I do. I'm sure it was on one of his podcasts. <laughs> they actually got the same light 
from this scene to be above the the table in the bar in Chasing Amy. Oh, that's very cool. And uh, for my birthday one year, um, he came to my town to do a Q&A and Kristen bought me tickets. And so I went and I, I asked him a question during the Q&A. And my only question was, how did you get the Jaws light for that scene in Chasing Amy? And he was like, I can't believe you know that. <laughs> um, and uh, he uh, uh, actually... I got to tell him about my Jaws shoes. I wore my Jaws shoes to that event because of how much I love Jaws and mm-hmm. I, how much I knew he loved Jaws. Um, he uh, he said, so the story he told me is basically that some guy like was like, oh, hey, his prop master on this also worked in the props department for Jaws mm-hmm. and was just kind of the universal because that that's also a universal movie. So he was just kind of the general universal prop master and he was like, oh, hey, I see you're doing like a comparing Scars scene in this like as a tribute to Jaws. And he was like, yeah, it's my favorite movie. And he was like, yeah, we just have the lights sitting around. Um, they're just in a warehouse. Do you do you want to use those in this scene to make it feel more like uh, more like that scene from Jaws? And he was like, uh, hell yeah, I do. <laughs> like, why'd you even ask? Why isn't it just already here, man? Um, so it's so weird to me to think about like... And I think this kind of ties into to the, you know, we, we just saw the opening of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Museum open at the mm-hmm. end of September of this year. And they have a fully restored Bruce animatronic that Greg, Greg Nicotero, the, uh, you know, legendary special effects guy, he restored it. And it was just sitting in a lot somewhere. Like, it was just rotting. Mm-hmm. And it's so crazy to me to think about, like, you know, for those of us who love this movie the way we do, and or any movie, that there's just so many things that we have so much like respect for as fans of those things, that are just kind of sitting in a warehouse rotting away somewhere because like it was just another production to these people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the the original Orca isn't intact because they docked it at uh, Universal Studios and just never never took care of it after they docked it there, and it just the bottom rotted out because it's sitting in the water so long. Um, you know, and to me, like, why would you not preserve that and put it in the Smithsonian or something? You know, that's like <laughs> one of the most important pieces of film history, if you ask me. But it was just, it was just another, you know, thing from another production to them. So, uh, my point about that being just like, it's crazy to just think about, like, you know, when when fans find stuff like that out, they, they it's they're over the moon about it, but to you know people who've worked in the industry for a long time are like oh yeah it's just just from another one of our things mm, yeah and I, the the light i'm glad you mentioned about it actually because it's one of the things i i wrote down in my notes that this light i mean it is just you know moving swinging left or right or whatever because that is how the the boat is moving but mm-hmm. it creates such a, a wonderful effect and i think i mean it seems to me like they they still filmed this stuff like out on the ocean because you can sort of see the the you know the the horizon and the sea sort of like moving um as the boat is moving so i i would like to think that this wasn't in a in a studio and was actually filmed at sea as well um so the the movement of that light is is natural and is just you know the 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 movement that the the boat is is doing is sort of creating that effect but the 
what it sort of gave to me is the way it like is sort of swinging left and right it really sort of works as well in like in turn spotlighting either hooper or quint it's you know like it's going between Mm, the two mm -hmm. it's like swinging left to right like a pendulum and it's it's these two giving the sort of back and forth of like you know yeah i've got that beat or yeah that you think that's a scar look at this one sort of thing and it just it really works for for the scene and creating that that ambiance as well but yeah just it's it's doing so it's doing so much in this scene and it's just a lamp but like that is yeah. you know one of the beauties of, of jaws is that these small things like make such a huge difference so yeah as a like a huge jaws fan as kevin smith is like why wouldn't you want to then like <laughs> have that in your film as well i think that's such a cool story i did not know any of that so i like that we've got the, the first hand account as well of uh, of of him getting that light <laughs> yeah yeah this light also, it cuts, one, I think any time that you can just put the light in the scene and not have to worry about uh, hiding them behind the camera or making sure it's not catching the camera weird is a dream for any uh, any lighting designer. Um, so I'm sure they were very happy that they could prominently feature the light in this scene because it means they didn't have to do much. Um but it casts such interesting shadows because of the movement and just because of the way the light is diffused um, over the table. And you can tell there's like a couple other lights they have behind the camera pointing at mm-hmm. them. But the way the like the 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 light um, catches the beer bottle mm. is really cool. Um, mm-hmm. And like it, it makes this really interesting dynamic shadow on on Hooper's arm um, when he's on the, the far side of the table. Mm. Yeah, the, and it's sort of like reflecting at the the window that's behind them as well. You sort of get the effect mm. of like moonlight because I'm guessing that even though it looks dark, they probably filmed this during the day and just did the sort of, you know, day day for night sort of thing where they, they make it look uh, yeah. darker than it is. But it, it does create that effect again of, of it looking like the, the moon is shining outside, which is a really, a really cool effect as well. But this is such a... A simple scene i guess on paper but still so much going on and so, and so much to to unpack and this sort of it links together so many pieces that we've we've seen previously and with things to come as well um even just the the sort of callback to the previous scene when when brody hit his head like that mm-hmm. is a whole kind of mini saga on its own because it was the the mistake that that brody made and you know pulling the, the wrong knot or not asking who he was meant to, whatever, um, that that sort of caused that as he was sort of knocked back and, and hit his head. Um, we had the bit after that as well with, with Quint sort of being a bit more fatherly towards Brody and, and saying, you know, you've, you've, you've hurt your head, there's the first aid kit, um, you know, do something about it. <laughs> and in this, I mean, we can see that the the mark is still there so either he hasn't found the first aid kit or there was just you know a small matter of a, a shark swimming around the boat distracting him um but quint in this in this scene it's kind of um <laughs> developed i guess from the the father figure uh he's now a bit more of like a, a boozy uncle uh i think in this scene because it's like you know he says to brody he's like you know it won't be permanent. You want to see something permanent. So he's, he's not sort of coming alongside Brody and, and coddling him anymore or, or 
you know checking checking that he's all right or, or offering to sort of patch him up or anything like that it's the that moment has passed but i just think yeah it uh interesting to sort of like still reference reference that and also it's it sort of sparks the the conversation that that follows you know it's the um Brody has like the knock on his head and then that makes well Quint sort of first mentions the tooth but then like the the lump on his head as well so yeah it's just uh it's good it's good continuity it's good filmmaking it's good script writing because all of these things that happened previously are are still a factor and affecting this scene as well yeah um i think bringing back really tiny stuff like that always goes a long way for me like respecting the the craft on display um so yeah. we talked off mic before we we've both seen the new bond uh no time to die and this is not a spoiler um it's not a spoiler that we've seen the movie but it, it's also <laughs> what i'm about to say is not a spoiler and i really liked it so there's a scene pretty early in the movie where it shows bond brushing his teeth and the movie's pushing three hours so i was like do we really need to see him brushing his teeth um, but then the toothbrush comes into play later on in another scene. And I was like, okay, I understand now. <laughs> and I, I appreciated that because I really did have a problem with that. I was like, all right, look, I know we want to spend as much time as possible because, you know, he's a beloved character who, or he's a beloved actor who has played this iconic character. But like, I do, I do not need to see him brushing his teeth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, uh, I, yeah, I like that this comes back to like the head injury and that it's, you made a really good point about it being, um, like Quint isn't coddling him anymore. He's just like, ah, you'll be fine. Um, (laughs) because this whole scene is, and we haven't talked about it in a few weeks. This whole scene is the norming part of the, the group dynamics that we had talked about a while ago. Um, this is re- where they really come together as a team. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Brody and 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 or Quentin Hooper really bond over the course of the scene. Like it goes from a competition to just like trading war stories. Uh, in Quint's case, quite literally at the end of the scene, obviously. <laughs> but um, just like you know, in, on on Quint's end, it's the way he earns respect for Hooper by being like, oh, this guy's kind of been through some shit. Like, you know, he's, he's got some miles on him that you can, you can, you can mark, you can see, you know? Mm. Um, so he, it proves to Quint that he's lived more of a, more of a hard knock life than, you know, he initially thought he had. Mm. Yeah. I, (laughs) one thing that I observed or thought was quite funny and still sort of gives that indication of, of their very different characters, even though it is, you know, like we said, the we're not so different, you and I thing, is how they got their injuries. So I'd be willing to bet that all of Hooper's were from, you know, various uh, oceanographic institutes. Uh, I don't want to say missions, that makes them sound like James Bond, but, you know, uh, trips or, or research mm-hmm. trips, scientific discoveries. You know, he talks about... Uh, getting bitten by a, a moray eel and then a, a bull shark whilst he's um, taking samples, I think. Um, and all of Quint's injuries come from violence, uh, <laughs> drunken fights, arm wrestling contests <laughs> that have gone awry. Um, and then the 
as I mentioned sort of at, at the top, the moment where they then bond is discovering that they both have uh, a scar or an injury caused by a shark. Um, and I, I sort of hinted as well, significant, the shark that is mentioned as well, because it's a thresher shark that gives Quint his injury on, on his leg. Um, and the the eagle-eared, I guess, amongst you will remember that uh, Hooper's uh, run-in with a shark that he's telling Ellen about is with a thresher shark. Um, so without saying it, like without putting it out there and being like, oh, he's talking about a, a thresher shark and that also, that thing also happened to Hooper. Like, remember? Remember? Like, it doesn't need to do that. It doesn't need to handhold us in that way because, you know, hopefully we'd, we'd remember but you know when we're going through it in this format like of course we, we yeah. remember those things and, and remember uh the reference to the to the thresher shark it's just such a a wonderfully subtle bit of writing i just really appreciate it and even the fact that bro that's the point brody involves himself in the conversation as well and is like thresher and then like hooper is like it's a shark like he's real like <laughs> he's real irritated he's like dude we just had this conversation like a few days ago where i told you about a thresher shark like attacking my boat <laughs> you've forgotten already but it's just that it's that nice it's that nice link and it's this creating this sense of relationship that is building between the the three of them but certainly between quint and hooper in this moment yeah, Hooper is like, one, he's a little drunk, but also he's like, what are you, one of those chump fishermen? And I'm sure Brody is like, look, man, a lot of shit has happened between now and then, and yeah, I'm sure. in the middle of the ocean, which is my least favorite place to be. <laughs> also, my son almost died since you've told me that story, so sorry I didn't remember. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff. Not a, Not remembering your little thresher story. Sorry about yeah. it. <laughs> uh, so I think it's interesting. This is maybe a bit much of a read into it. Um, it, uh, I think it's interesting that Quint asks Hooper, sorry, Quint asks Brody if he wants to see something permanent. And then mm. he asks Hooper if he wants to feel something permanent. And, um, you know, I don't think this was intentional by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I'm going to get, this might be real in the weeds now. <laughs> um, so Quint is Jesus. And uh, by which I mean, he like, he gives up his life for Hooper and Brody oh, at the end of the going. film. And... <laughs> There's sort of his disciples and there's the disciple Thomas, who was the doubter who needed to feel the proof that it was Jesus. He needed to feel the wounds in his hands and the wound in his side um, after he returned from the cross uh, to get like have proof that he was, you know, who he said he was. That's how it reads in, in the book. Um, the book, the Bible. It's how it reads in the Bible. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like the Jaws book. Yeah, yeah. Like the Jaws book. Um, anyway, so, you know, there's not a one-to-one -one comparison, uh, aside from the fact that, you know, fishermen stuff. 
Uh, which, you know, there's a lot, if you're unfamiliar with, uh, the Bible, the, there's a lot of like the fishermen, book. but if you're unfamiliar with the book, um, <laughs> there's a lot of fishermen, like a lot of the disciples are fishermen. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, there's like a lot of stuff that happens on water, like Jesus walks on water and, uh, stuff like that. So, um, you know, we've talked about like how there's been a, a little bit of representation of Spielberg's Jewish faith, um, in this and like. Yeah, it's not, you know, Spielberg isn't like a Protestant Christian or, or a Catholic or anything, but I'm sure he's familiar with those biblical stories and mm. um, <clears throat> so are the people writing the the, the, the thing. But also, I, I'm sure I'm, I, I'm also on a minute by minute podcast reading way too into <laughs> the symbolism <laughs> here, but it, it is interesting that he like, he like proves it to Brody with something visual and then proves it to Hooper with something that he has to like touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I sort of grasp what you were like as you were starting to talk and the whole thing about like asking one person to see and that's and that's enough but for the person who who is doubting or the one that you really need to win over it's like well you know feel it it's it's right there like needing to sort of um feel something more tangible to to know and to understand so i completely get where you're you're going with that and i had never (laughs) thought about it in that way before so that is super interesting. That feels like something that you could like really dive into in yeah. like an essay topic or something because I'm sure there is so much more stuff <laughs> just on that, that that you could go into. But I, not quite the sort of same level of, of reading into things, but I sort of picked up on perhaps like some significance of the of Quint's tooth and the, the fact that he doesn't put it back in um we i mean joked around that it's sort of you know very like drunk thing to do just like watch mm-hmm. me take out my tooth and then just not bother <laughs> putting it back in um but the the thing that i sort of read into that is you know is is there any significance in the fact that he doesn't put the tooth back in so he he takes it out like right at the start before he then sort of um starts opening himself up to hooper in particular but brody is also there and is and is listening um and as we know this sort of like directly precedes the the indianapolis speech when he lays bare like everything that is the reason why he is the way he is the reason why he does what he does the reason why he feels the way he feels about sharks like all of that stuff comes out like real real soon so this fact that he you know pulls out the tooth uh, and doesn't put it back in in fact he like folds it like neatly like puts it into like a tissue or something like folds it up and puts it away is this kind of you know uh the a signifier i guess of like well this is the real me like you're not seeing the the the, the fake tooth in there you're i'm gonna take that out the walls are down uh and i'm about to sort of like reveal the the truth about myself. I just thought that was interesting. I don't know if it was in any way deliberate, but an interesting thing to consider, I thought. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> I, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it, the, the blocking in this scene is really interesting too, where mm. um, Hooper and Quint start at opposing ends of the table and then end up crossing legs with each other. Yeah. <laughs> like it is it is such a uh uh honestly it's pretty on the nose but it doesn't feel like it once again uh visual representation of them coming together and like reaching an understanding for the first time Mm 
yeah, it's so it's so subtly done. Like it doesn't, you know, we we talked about this a lot. It doesn't need to be this like big showy moment of like, oh, we're basically like the same but different. It's we see them at opposite ends of the table, and then when the scene finishes, they're like, you know, <laughs> practically on top of each other. Like one yeah. leg is is on is on top of the other one. So it's that tells us enough and there's the extra layer of that we know that the thing that sort of cements that you know for now the last story that they tell is the one about the shark you know the the bull shark for hooper and the thresher shark for quint and then that's when they kind of uh share share a drink break bread together if you will to continue the analogy of, of uh what you were saying mj mm, and, and they mm-hmm. sort of come to this place of understanding i mean that's you know when you propose a toast or you know you say you'll drink to this then it it's normally a it's a unified symbol i guess i should probably look into this more soon as i'm getting married like real soon and like (laughs) imagine there'll be (laughs) be, like toasts at the wedding i've written one into my speech i should probably look up like what it means but i guess it's that you're you're all doing you're all it's an agreement of something isn't it you know whether it's just cheers to us having a good night or cheers to the future of the happy couple. It's that, yes, we are all in agreement of this thing. So there, I, I think there is meaning in that. And I like that it's, you know, not just the, these, these lads having a, a good old time drinking together. It's this um, real sense, like you said, of the, the norming of, of this team. Now they are, a, they are a team. Um, even you know more so than they they were in the the previous scene where they're sort of trying to work together and actually interestingly it was the failure in trying to catch the shark that has kind of united them so i think there's that that's going to be something interesting to sort of explore as the as the film goes on yeah um please tell me that you're because you told me today that your your wedding speech <laughs> has two jaws references in it Sure did. <laughs> um, please tell me that your toast is a dirty limerick a la Quint. Do you know what? I've I'd not thought about that until like right now, but now I'm like, how appropriate would it be to, for me to end my speech by being like, let's drink to our legs? I think like 10 oh, yeah. people in the room would get it, but also my dad would be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you could... <laughs> you could uh... <laughs> You could end it by saying, uh, here's the swimming with bow-legged women. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I, that is certainly worse. <laughs> Me debating which <laughs> one understand. is the worst of the two. <laughs> yeah, no, that is uh, that is not the Jaws reference that has made it into my speech, but now I'm seriously considering it. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got I mean, you said there's two in there already. You might as well go for the hat trick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels it feels correct to be honest. I I don't know how many more I could get away with though. So, <laughs> look, only happens once. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Gotta do it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, and it's your wedding. What are people going to do? Complain? Screw yeah. it. Yeah, it's my speech. You know. Yeah. I could... <laughs> if I just wanted to replace my speech with me doing the Indianapolis monologue, I could absolutely do that. Yeah. <laughs> someone's like you can't do that be like you write it for me then yeah (laughs) you don't want to hear me say this come up with something better yeah (laughs) i'm now imagining just me like doing going like full quint like delivering that that (laughs) monologue (laughs) the hushed silence of the room as people are like what is happening (laughs) 
They're like, oh what does this have to do with Martin? Yeah. <laughs> what did what, did she did, did she uh, face some sharks? And uh, was, was she shipwrecked? <laughs> what did she say something about World War Two? Yeah. How old is about she? The bomb. <laughs> Who is this person? <laughs> Hey, is is there a time traveler? Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, look, there's a lot you don't know about me. (laughs) (laughs) I thought my wedding was the perfect time to reveal that I am, in fact, (laughs) a time traveler. (laughs) Yeah, and then you can have your after party at Nako Nolan's. Yes. (laughs) Changing the theme. It's it's pretty late in the day to do it, but (laughs) we can make it happen. (laughs) Yep. LJ fam fam, this is your time to shine. We please, we need all the Jaws decorations we can get. <laughs> yeah, please. We... I think uh, at uh, I mean, when this episode goes out, it's going to be less than a week away. Which is you have six slightly... days. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys, don't let me down. <laughs> and that's only that's six days if you're listening to it the day this comes out. <laughs> Yeah, if it's much later, I don't know what to tell you. It might have already happened. It was either a disaster or a resounding success. We'll find out. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> and if your friends are anything like mine, they won't listen to this. So mm-hmm. they won't know that on a podcast, you told everyone that you're going to put Let's Drink to Our Legs at the end of the speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's maybe probably not even one person listening to this who who will be at the wedding and will have listened to this before the wedding. So surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Martin is currently maybe like thirty episodes or so <laughs> behind. He doesn't really. So get much... he doesn't even know. <laughs> he doesn't really get much podcast listening time uh, in with his work and stuff. So yeah. There's... Surprise! (laughs) (laughs) What a way to find out. (laughs) Oh, that's super funny. Um... (laughs) I mean, I guess this is like last week when I bleeped the answer to the uh, Scorsese trivia. (laughs) I know, for the benefit of no one, but I can't tell you how much I appreciated it and how much it made me laugh. Oh yeah. You never know. You never know. It's sneaky. These people, I know what they're like. When when the prize on offer for my wedding film trivia quiz is free drinks, you better believe they're going to try oh. and uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, here's the, here's the thing. I cut the part about how petty I am about my trivia out last week, but I know how petty I am about my trivia, so I absolutely would take any advantage I could get. <laughs> like, I approached it with, like, if as though I were competing in this. Yeah. <laughs> I do need to send you. I, I've got it as, like, a, a Google form, so I will send you the wedding film trivia because... Oh, yes. Just for glory. I mean, I, I don't know how... Look, I can't even get the crate of Gansett sent to you yet, so right. I don't know how I would uh, reward you for getting the sure. most points, but we'll, sure. we'll we'll figure that out. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Just use me as a... Just have a slide with my score on it that's like, here's the one to beat. You gotta beat, you gotta beat MJ at the... <laughs> yeah. We were like, this isn't fair. He's not even here. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> What kind of quiz is this? What kind of wedding is this? He's across the world. 
in the same country. <laughs> anyway, th- th- this took a turn. Sure did. <laughs> but we are, we are, uh, pun intended, barreling towards your wedding. So uh... mm. <laughs> we really are. Yep. 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 <laughs> um. Anyway, so yeah, to uh, to bring it back to the scene, uh, <laughs> one, uh, Harley hit me up about the thing I just put in the Discord because I have a third Jaws song for you. Yes, um, <laughs> <laughs> has been in my head since you posted it. <laughs> it's uh, it's not quite my joke. Ben Folds has a song about a time he fell off a stage in Japan and split his head open and had to go to the hospital and get stitches. Oh. <laughs> And uh, the, the the subtitle of that song is Benny Hit His Head, because his name is Ben Holt. Um, but because you said Brody Hit His Head, and it's the same syllables, that's all I had. Um, so first that. Two, uh, yes, the <clears throat> we're writing this, this Quint is Jesus essay as we speak, it seems like. <laughs> yeah. uh, I hadn't thought about the... Um, the breaking bread, right? The communion aspect of it. So like, mm-hmm. okay, check this out. So we see on the, uh, so, so, so communion is when you take the wafer and the wine and it's the body and blood of Christ. Uh, not going to explain it any further than that. Uh, it, because some people think it literally turns into the body and blood of Christ. Some people think that it's a symbolic gesture. I don't really want to talk about that. Um, <laughs> but what I do want to talk about is that if you look on the table, you can see leftover dinner crumbs. Um, so they've eaten. They've had, you know, if this is this is the, this is Quint's Last Supper, right? Yeah. Um. So we can see that they've eaten, which would be the body consuming the body, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and now they're drinking to his leg, which is a part of the body, um, or they're drinking to each other's legs which is a part of the body and the body is where the blood is. Now they're not drinking wine. So traditionally it's like bread or a wafer and wine or grape juice. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, but I mean, I've, you know, I've had to, to at churches I've got, attended, we've forgotten it was Easter. One time we had a storage unit and um, th- we forgot to go to the storage unit the Saturday before Easter. And the storage place was closed that Sunday because it was Easter so we had to go to the convenience store and do communion with Gatorade and goldfish crackers. So I'm going with this. Um, so, you know, you could, you could argue that they've, you know, they've made the, 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 uh, they've eaten the body already. And now they're, they've obviously been drinking, but now this is the first time where they've connected it to the body. Um, and so they're drinking the blood now. And then also, uh, if you look at, and I know it's not a photograph, it's not a Polaroid of the night this happened, but if you look at the Da Vinci painting, now I'm getting all Dan Brown about it. If you look at the <laughs> Da Vinci painting, The Last Supper, they're all seated on the same side of the table, which is where Quentin Hooper end up mm-hmm. at the end of the scene when they when they drink. Mm-hmm. Boom. <laughs> yeah, there is way more to this than I than I had realized. It was kind of like only as as you were speaking and as I was speaking that I was like, there's actually a lot in this. Like particularly when you get down to the sort of the one who dies is is Quint as well. Mm-hmm. Spoiler for you know <laughs> a movie that you probably know very well if you're listening to us talk about it. Yep. Um but yeah, I 
this scene. There's so much significance in this scene and I don't know if I've ever really thought about it in this way before because to me, I'm like, well, this is a funny scene. And it is a funny scene. There's the, this level of meaning that we're getting from it does not take away like how funny this scene is and when yeah. you know the the bit where they sort of end up drunkenly singing as well and obviously we have the, the indianapolis sort of in the middle of that um so a lot sort of happening whilst they're they're in this in this cabin or inside the orca um but so much to to think about that i guess i just hadn't really unpacked before but yeah my mind is kind of like a little bit blown thinking about all of this right now. Um, um, yeah. To, to talk about the comedy of it, uh, <laughs> for some reason, the way Quint drunkenly says, or Robert Shaw kind of drunkenly says, boom, 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 makes me laugh every time. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> yeah, he's really having a lot of fun in this scene, isn't he? Like, there's so many bits where yeah. you're just like, when you know that he is actually inebriated as he's performing this, you're like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, he he makes the sort of the, the noise of the thresher shark as well. Um, just sort of like a swooshing kind of noise. Um, he, like, cracks himself up, laughs at his own joke as well, and honestly can relate. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> big yeah. fan of that. Um, but yeah, you can just... It's kind of, this is, uh, yeah, maybe heading into Indianapolis a little bit here and we'll probably unpack this in more detail when, when we get to that because that is going to take us a whole last month to get through. Yep. Um, but it's actually, it's just one of those things where the, you know, movie magic, but actually it's very, um, what am I trying to say? It's, it's it, the way it worked out then actually sort of seeing it on screen is, is for the benefit of, of this scene so in in this bit he is kind of like red in the face like a little bit sweaty as obviously mm -hmm. drunk you know <laughs> zero in on the the pupils of his eyes and they're, they're they're starting to go a bit um but then when he he delivers the speech and and you know as as we know and the behind the scenes fans will will all know as well is that he that speech was actually delivered or you know performed like the next day or something when he had when he had sobered up but that is perfect for the way quint is is delivering that speech it is this yeah. like if you will sobering moment in sandwiched in the middle of these sort of moments of frivolity so we have this bit where they're sort of comparing scars and drinking to their legs and then we have the the show me the way to go home bit which comes at the the end of the indianapolis um and i think i mean it's hard to tell i'm going to be looking at the tooth as the <laughs> the like the signifier like the the totem in inception or something with like mm -hmm. whether it's you know drunk robert shaw or sober robert shaw but i think that the where they're sort of singing show me the way to go home i think that is drunk robert shaw from like the same night as as this bit uh was done and then the the him giving the indianapolis speech is the sort of the the sober him the next day I, that makes sense to me and it also yeah. really helps to illustrate this point that i'm making so i hope that's the case <laughs> yeah no i totally get it um that's something i was gonna say i don't remember what it was oh yeah quit laughing at his own jokes is a uh, big mood <laughs> relatable content <laughs> yeah as someone who frequently will tweet something and then be like i should charge people to read this um <laughs> 
Yeah, and then I, I get a like. <laughs> I say to Martin all the time, I'm like, I'm the funniest person I know. You should be really lucky that you, yeah. <laughs> you get to you get to hear all of the jokes like not just the stuff i deem worthy to put out on the internet or in the podcast yeah. like <laughs> yeah uh no if you go look at my twitter recently and see the if you see the tweet where i tweeted the poster of lamb and said they should have called it malignant uh if you could have seen how hard i made myself laugh when i thought of that you would be so embarrassed for me. <laughs> Do you know what? I'd already seen that tweet, but just hearing it like read out loud just makes me laugh all over again. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> oh, it's the dumbest thing anyone's ever said. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and I made myself I made myself cry laughing at it. Like I have no shame when it comes to that. <laughs> and I got like two likes on it and I was like I'm unappreciated in my time. I'm wasted on these people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I get all I get all Emily Dickinson about it. I'm like, they should publish my tweets in a book when I die. Yeah. <laughs> people should be paying for this. <laughs> uh yeah. Is this there is some the... sort of only tweets that I can start where you just get gold from me for a monthly subscription? <laughs> Only tweets. <laughs> uh, that's real dumb, but real funny. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't they going to do that? Weren't they going to do like a super tweets or something? Oh, I don't know. Like it keeps telling me on Twitter that I can monetize my tweets and I'm like, all right, tell me more. What? But it doesn't. Yeah, it's not. Uh, I don't know. It's the, those like spaces things that I pretend don't exist. I thought spaces were like like podcasts i don't know it's like tiktok i just don't want to find out so i don't have to engage with it <laughs> yeah yeah that makes sense anyway this, yeah uh someone did their research by the way when they were talking about uh the oki bar in san francisco mm. and the arm wrestling i don't know about the arm wrestling part but then like even the, you know, the nationality of the guy, like the, the, him being Chinese. There's a huge Chinese population in San Francisco. Um, and there's a lot of Oki bars in San Francisco for some reason. Um, Oki, by the way, if you don't know, since uh, like 46% of our audience is in uh, uh, the UK. Um, that is short for someone from Oklahoma. In particular, someone who migrated to California from Oklahoma during the Dust Bowl in the 30s. So like Grapes of Wrath. Uh, the Steinbeck novel and the movie based on the Steinbeck novel. Uh, they're Okies. They come from Oklahoma. Oh, um, <clears throat> I thought it was a karaoke bar. No. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, it, it, they, <laughs> the subtitle spells it wrong, though. The subtitle spells it like it's karaoke. Oh, got it. Um, okay. They spell it O-K-I-E-S because the, the abbreviation for Oklahoma is OK. Um, mm. Yep. So uh, actually, I think i'm basically i'm i'm from the city i'm from in california because my grandfather was an okie um mm. i'm pretty sure i think he was i think he was from oklahoma um <clears throat> but yeah so there was a big migration of people from oklahoma to california during the 30s and then they settled all up and down the state because there's a lot of agriculture actually and especially in the central valley of california where i'm from um and so 
Uh, also, there's a big Chinese population because of the railroads. The railroad construction stopped there, and mo- it was mostly Chinese workers or, you know, forced workers, forced labor, um, slavery without the <laughs> ah, fancy name, uh, who built the railroads out and end- it ended in San Francisco, and so they just they didn't have anywhere else to go. Um, mm. So a lot of them just settled there. So uh, I was like, it, today was the first time it dawned on me where I was like, man, they have accurately depicted the demographic of uh, San Francisco, particularly around this time period, um, mm. it, it, just in this story. Like, I, I thought that was like a cool detail um, to have in there. But yeah, if you go to California, there's like a surprising amount of like um, country music. So like where I'm from is big time country music uh city um but it's it's you can find it all up and down the state more than you would think for california because like i know nashville gets the the heat or the the brunt of like you know that's that's where country music is uh from but there's a there's a lot in california mm. it's because of the oaky uh migration so um yep there's your california history lesson yeah, I didn't know any of that, <laughs> and uh, Google did not help me either. So I, I mean, we spoke about this last week with with Katie that just this level of detail, I just really, really appreciate it. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there's like lots of other films that do their research as well, but they're not the ones we're talking about minute by minute. Uh, so I just appreciate that 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 much thought has gone into it, and a script shouldn't just be you know throw away words or lines like there there is and should be meaning behind it like particularly when you're making like specific references but i'm still just like reeling from from what she sort of said about quince accent as well like that's it's so specific like not just to like a particular location but like a vocation like that is sort of Mm -hmm. like how these kind of like old timey sort of uh you know guys sort of like laborers that would come from that from the areas that that you know i guess quint comes from like that is how they would talk and that is something that like she recognized like having that that local knowledge and that local insight i think she even said that like she had you know relatives who who did speak like that and i'm like that is fascinating to me like so interesting like that is the choice that they made and i mean it it seems like ages ago now that we were even like speculating like where is quint from because we you know we were trying to sort of like place his accent and we sort of heard a little bit of that irish in there and i think we 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 got to this scene actually and and remembered the reference to uh paddy's day and boston so um put those things together but yeah it it is that and it also isn't that it's the there's something more specific than that going on in his accent. And I just think that is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> just well, the level of detail. I realized actually, um, so for those of you who are diehard podcast listeners, not not our podcast, but just like listen to a bunch of podcasts in general, there's a podcaster named Matt Myra. The biggest thing he was on is probably he was one of the two co-hosts of the nerdist or one of the three co-hosts of the nerdist podcast Mm. before chris hardwick got canceled um he left the show in the wake of that basically Mm. um but i've always really liked he was my favorite part of that podcast so i've kind of followed him since he writes for that abc show the goldbergs now Mm. um and then he has he has a a parent i think it's a parenting podcast now but it was he started up he has a james bond podcast called james bonding um, so he's a co-host of that. And then he co-hosted a podcast about like him and his wife journey journey to having a child. Cause they did in vitro and stuff. 
So uh, he's from Massachusetts. And I remembered after Katie told that story, actually I remembered while I was editing, that <laughs> um, his dad calls him Hooper because his dad sounds exactly like Quint. Yep, and he was a big Jaws fan um, as a kid, so his dad called him Hooper. And, mm. uh, yeah, so he, his dad had that accent, too. So I actually had prior knowledge that uh, about that accent was actually a thing, and I just didn't click. Because why would it? That's something I heard mm. on a podcast probably <laughs> close to a decade ago now. <laughs> but, but, yeah, um, yeah. so, yeah, Matt Myra, his father, also has that, that same accent of the the New England fisherman you know, dock worker type mm, mm-hmm. thing. So, yep. I mean, not that not that you shouldn't have believed Katie. Like, <laughs> there's no reason to. But um, confirmed. Yeah. 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 Confirmed across the board that that that's a thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, did you have anything else? So, oh, I, go ahead. Yeah, I think I that have, only I have thing, other stuff too. Yeah, I think the only thing we haven't sort of like really got into is uh, is Brody's little moment. It's right at the end of, of this bit that we're talking mm-hmm. about. And I previously sort of like believed one thing about, about that moment, but I don't know if I like saw, heard or read something different, but there's there's kind of like two theories I have for that like little scar that, that Brody sort of thinks about sharing, but then doesn't. Um, so my first thing that I th- I thought <laughs> I thought it was from something like an appendix like removal mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like as a kid he's had like he'd had his appendix taken out or something that was just kind of like a little scar because that's kind of where it is I think I don't know I've not had my appendix taken I think out, you're so. right <laughs> yeah it's, on, it's, it's a, on your right side yeah that that like general area so th- I then have always like found that moment funny and I think that the I think that the way Shida plays it is is funny as well because it's sort of like that pulling up of the jumper and then just sort of like nah I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bother and, and and putting it back down again. But then I maybe this is someone who is buying into our uh, Shida verse where you know the the French connection <laughs> it precedes uh, Jaws. Um, but someone said like what if it's like a bullet wound or something? Mm. And I was like I never thought about it in that way before. Um, it kind of tracks, I guess, because the something we spoke about a, a while back was like part of the whole reason why uh, I think Ellen really was keen for the family to move from New York to Amity was the fact that it was getting too dangerous. You know, it was New mm-hmm. York in the seventies, and and uh, they I think the the bit when sort of like Brody is like drunkenly like rambling on the boat. Um, sort of says, you know, the the crime rate in New York will kill you. I think that's I think that's what he says. Um, so it could have been that he had like a a, a near miss or or something like that, and and that is what that scar is from. Um, I kind of like that it's open to our speculation because I think you could see it uh, in either way. I mean, the main takeaway from it is that like Brody obviously has something and he has a story that he can share. But this moment kind of isn't really a- about him. It's about this sort of coming together of of Quint and Hooper. So it's sort of left to us to think about what that might be. But yeah, I thought it was interesting to to think about both sides of it as I've I've really only thought about it in one way before. Yeah, I um I've always thought well, I, I've always thought it was an appendix too. 
Mm. Um, but before I talk about, I came up with a new theory while you were talking. Um, <laughs> uh, before I talk about it, I want to talk about Brody in this scene because he. This is the this is the part where he definitely fades into the background for a while. Yeah. Um, sure. And like quite literally, like he's dressed in that black, you know, turtleneck, and mm-hmm. he, I mean, he kind of looks like a floating head, you know, like he just he just <laughs> is 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 pretty like muted in the in the background there and uh really just kind of lets quentin hooper take center stage on this and the thing is though i think that it um oh, the scene's playing uh, i think that in a way it shows his norming with the group as well in that he doesn't he's getting his sea legs a little bit more you know quint's not having to coddle him anymore he can you know hang back on his own he can you know he's got his sea legs under him a little bit whether he thinks he does or not um you know he's he's contributing to to moving the boat full steam ahead even though he's never steered a boat before in his life like he's getting there and so here them kind of ignoring him is them not is them norming with him where like they're like okay he can handle himself now Mm. yeah yeah i it's it's interesting like i think that that brody doesn't really say much i mean he sort of he he puts himself more in the conversation i think in next week's scene um and i think is is that when he sort of said like he questions about like the the tattoo and then that sort of like it leads to that's what leads mm-hmm. to the beginning yeah. of the indianapolis speech isn't it yeah yeah um, i think that's next week because yeah yeah because hooper he, has the joke about it and then he asks what right happened yeah 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 um but at, at at this yeah he he's quite content i think to to blend into the to the background a little bit here and it's it's you know, I, I guess a, a, a smart thing as well is sort of like knowing when to when to put yourself into a conversation or not. And this this moment kind of isn't really about him. I, I, I hadn't sort of picked up on those like costume choices as well and how that kind of like literally does mean he fades uh, into the background because I'm just very distracted by how good he looks in a turtleneck. And I'm really sorry to bring it back to that place again, but it's a <laughs> strong look. And I appreciate it a great deal. Um, he's a he's a, a good looking chap, and uh, the scene is is evidence of that. Um, but yeah, he this this bit it's 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 not a it's not about him. He has had lots of moments leading up to this, sort of like finding finding his feet, you know, finding his 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 sea legs, <laughs> uh, literally, and and in other mm-hmm. sense as well. But. What I did notice, and I I don't think I've ever picked up on this before, is he he still has like a little bit of rope that he is like yeah. fiddling about with. That like so he like pulls up his jumper and then like pulls it back down again, and then like you see that he's got like some rope in his <laughs> some rope in his hands, and I'm just like, oh, is he is he still trying to like master like little brown eel? And it just <laughs> it's just really endearing to me. It's like weirdly like a. I don't know, it's either like a comfort thing or he is like us and has anxiety and therefore needs to be keeping his hands busy. <laughs> but very <laughs> relatable. <laughs> uh, 
Um, it's also the most relaxed he's been. He's just kind of leaning back on the uh, yeah. switcher board there, um, which looks like there's like a lot of important switches and buttons. So I don't know why you would do that, but um, <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, we can. Uh, so my theory that I formulated while you were talking, which is definitely a whole brain theory and not a half-ass one, is that scar is why he's afraid of the water. Oh, that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and we don't know what it is and we don't know why it is, but I think that scar and his fear of the water are very connected. And I think also... Uh, we got to keep in mind that it comes after they both talk about injuries they've sustained from sea creatures. Mm, sure. Um, so Brody had a confrontation with Cthulhu confirmed. <laughs> I was about to be like, this is a really good point. This is like blowing my mind. This is something that I'd never thought about before. I think you're right. And then, <laughs> and then, <laughs> No, but aside from that, I do, yeah. I do, that is, that is the theory I'm going to ascribe to minus the Cthulhu part, but I'm just saying that so that you'll take me seriously. I'm definitely going to think it's Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah. What a, what a film, honestly. Like, it's, <laughs> it's then even like more, it's then even more perfect. It fits so well, like you're saying with what they're talking about before, because it, and that's like the first like cut we get for a little while as well. Like it's it's so focused on Hooper and Quint having their little bonding moment and their sort of, you know, one upmanship of each other and, and their scars and, and everything else. But it it comes you're right, like it comes like right after they're they're talking about the the run ins they've had with, with sharks. So whether mm-hmm. it was a shark or whether it was just, you know, a, a traumatic thing that happened at sea or something else like you know doesn't even need to be the sea it could be you know in a lake in a swimming pool like we don't know it's obviously something in involving the water but the more i think about that the more that makes so much sense <laughs> i think that you still you don't lose the the comedy of that moment because i think it's still quite it is funny the way that he sort of you know as I said before, like lifts it up, puts it down, and is like, nah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. So if you laugh, you're not like a terrible person for laughing at his misfortune or anything, because it usually sort of gets like a chuckle out of me as well. But I think I'm definitely gonna be thinking about it in a in a different way. And even that thing that you know, what I mentioned earlier about you know it possibly being uh, an an injury that he sustained whilst whilst working in New York as a as an officer. Um, that sort of like holds up as well but this this that scar being what happened in this sort of like traumatic water event or whatever it was in Brody's past like I think makes the most sense and I kind of like that we don't actually learn anymore because then I think it would be too it, it runs the risk then of being like on the nose or too kind of like handholdy it's just like we know he has a fear of the water uh, we know that, you know, he, there was a, an incident when he was younger or something where drowning or, or, or feeling like he was drowning was involved or something like that. And potentially we learn from this, this bit as well, that it is something that has left like a permanent 
mark on his body as well as sort of psychologically and like that's enough we don't then need Brody like recounting his story of like well this thing happened to me because maybe it was something really minor as well I mean we're going deep on it here but like maybe it was something like actually quite comical and he thinks like now this is not the place to <laughs> place to like to, to talk about it but yeah <clears throat> interesting so also here's what I have to say about that um, dear J.J. Abrams, that's how you do a mystery box, you dumb fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I... <laughs> I agree. There's so much in, like, I mean, how this would have been a much more boring conversation if, like, the story of what happened or that scar was then in there, because then it's like, the film is telling us exactly it. Like, let that mystery be, like, let it be down to us to speculate, because we have, just us, two people on a podcast, have come up with, like, three possible theories that all make sense and make sense in that moment. And you know what? It's fine. They're not integral to the fucking plot. Yeah, for sure. Oh <laughs> uh, well, uh, <laughs> at the risk of this becoming the this is. <laughs> I hate that shit so much. I... <laughs> uh, that is the reason I don't like Mission Impossible Three. Is that stupid stuff with the rabbit's foot, where it's just like, oh, what is it? Who knows? We're never gonna get an explainer for it. Okay, well, that's the thing we're chasing after in the movie. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, thing that... has ruined so many movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's like there's not revealing the mystery when it is something that you are being led to believe is integral to the plot and then there's the examples like this <laughs> where this is fine like we don't need to know that it's not essential to the film and it's actually more beneficial to us to then kind of like have this uh, you know openness to it that that it's not answered that we don't need it explained because we don't need everything explained but also don't set something up as like a mystery and then have it be nothing and just not explained and it's like well it's a mystery it's like it's just not explained there it's like well don't yeah. tell me it's important yeah i yeah <laughs> this is I'm, I'm i'm about to derail this podcast to talk about how much i hate that uh jj oh abrams mystery <laughs> box storytelling um does it is this is this a next week scene? Because I have something that's very pressing to, to me. That... Uh... Oh, it, it is a next week scene. Dang it. Okay. Well, you just okay. have to just have to wait. Hold that yep. thought until next week. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because there's another mystery box that I very much want to untie. Uh... Okay. Interesting. And the teaser for that is why in the hell is Quint buttoning his pants when we come back to them? I have so many questions about that. I'm so <laughs> glad you mentioned it. We're going to bring that up next week. You better believe it. That is a tease. That is leaving yeah. them hanging, so to speak. I didn't um, notice that until it just went past it right now. I've never noticed that in the movie ever. And now I've seen it and I can't unsee it. Yeah, I've I've spotted it before and every time have been like, what? <laughs> what are we doing here, Quinn? <laughs> I don't want to know what the bit cut out was there, there, like, from <laughs> yeah. that scene. Just like, I don't want to know how I got all this scar. Just slapped it on the table. <laughs> <laughs> then it does become the dick measuring contest, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> Subtext. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's yeah. like, okay, we're getting into next week's scene. <laughs> but 
what a way to leave uh, to leave this episode. I, I like that you said, "Do you want to know how I got this scar?" Like he's some sort of penis joker. <laughs> <laughs> Not the penis joker. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite Joaquin Phoenix movie. No, no, not, not this. Hey everyone, MJ from the Edit Bay here. Off mic, I found a funnier part for this, so just imagine instead of saying Joaquin Phoenix, I said Joaquin Penis. There's too I'm many things. I'm going to become the penis joker. There's too many things in my brain now, none of them repeatable. Um... <laughs> Okay, um, well, I am already excited about next week's scene, yeah. if this is the teaser for it. Um, did you have anything else for for this week? or? Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. I think we covered everything from Kevin Smith to uh, Quintus Jesus. <laughs> Diversity is what we're giving you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> variety is what we're providing. Oh, and Brody's podcast. Cthulhu running. <laughs> How could we forget? Yeah. Um do you have anything that you would like to plug, MJ? Oh, I just realized he's afraid of the water because of the sea quest he was on. Uh, <laughs> which comes later, but as we know, time travel. Time travel. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, anything, anything that you would like to plug apart from Sequest? <laughs> Question mark. Uh, yeah, Sequest. Sequest. It is. Um, no, Real Perspective is back. Uh, I don't know if it'll be out by the time you hear this. It should be. It should be. Um, it should be. But uh, we did an episode on No Time to Die. Two thirds of us have seen it, and I think fifty percent of those two thirds uh, liked it, and fifty percent did not. Um, <laughs> I don't know if the uh, other third will get a chance to see it as she is busy with a play, but I hope she does. Um, so yeah, either either a two-hander episode or a, a full episode of of Real Perspective is back, uh, talking about No Time to Die, which I thought had a lot of problems but was very good. So um, you can check that out wherever podcatchers are catched. <laughs> Uh, yes, I have uh, nothing to plug because there is a lot happening for me, but none of it is uh, to do with writing or content. It's uh, <laughs> all wedding planning <laughs> from here on out. Um, so nothing from from me this week, but hopefully, hopefully something soon. Hopefully, once things have calmed down a bit, I can uh, write and pod once again <laughs> to full capacity um but if you want to find us uh on twitter you can find the show at jaws for a minute uh you can find me at sarah buddery and mj is at mj smith 891 um we're all pretty active on there so you can um slide into our dms if you've got a question that you would like to ask us or just chat to us on there um if you don't use twitter you can contact us uh, by email jaws for a minute at gmail.com uh, and we are also on i've put it in the notes as finstagram so i'm sticking with it uh we are also on <laughs> instagram slash finstagram uh at jaws for a minute uh where we're putting up sort of like snippets of the the shows uh and various other little things as well and just interacting with people on there about the greatest film ever made jaws um so give us a follow on there as well uh, you can support the show uh, by rating, reviewing, subscribing on your podcatcher of choice um, and telling people about it as well. That really helps us out. Uh, you can purchase our merchandise through Tee Public and Redbubble. 
The link to those is in our Twitter bio. And uh, as always, thanks to our designer, Alex, uh, for those incredible designs. You can find him at Hex Ghosts on Twitter. Um, our theme song as well, uh, which I don't know if we've mentioned this before, is an absolute bop. Uh, I know we have mentioned so good. it many times before. <laughs> uh, but you can also purchase that. Uh, and the link to that is both in our Twitter bio um and on uh Kristen's instagram as well so she is at Kristen falls music um so you can purchase that and either of those ways there um if you would like to uh just send us a, a little donation uh we really really appreciate that you can do that through our coffee page uh if you donate you will get a shout out on the show uh, and you will also be entered into the contest to win a piece of merch when we hit our next donation goal so definitely worth doing that uh, if you are able to. I think that is about it for us this week. So until next time, it's Jules O'Clock somewhere. <laughs>